Thank you. Hi, I'm Lauren, anorexic and compulsive overeater. Hi, everyone. Um, forgive me, I'm getting out my phone because I took um, some pictures of something that I want to read uh, a little bit through my share, so that's why it's out. Um, Lauren, thank you so much for asking me to uh, share at this morning's meeting. Um, I have two young children. I have a three-and-a-half-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old. And uh, my in-person meetings have definitely shrunk down a little bit since having little people. Um, but every time I'm here, it's such a strong reminder of why I can't let... It's a strong reminder of the fact that having those children, having the husband, having the life I have now is only thanks to this program. And so if I don't keep coming here, um, I don't know what would happen to that life. So I'm just always grateful to be, uh, to be put in a position where God's like, yeah, it's time for you to go back. Um, I do want to start a little bit with uh, where I came from. Um, you know, when I think about my disease, the only real analogy I have for it is like when you're standing, I grew up in Ohio where there's a lot less um, lights than here, so there's a lot more stars. And it was always amazing to me that at night you could stand outside and you could find a star and it would look like the tiniest, most distant star, and then if you look long enough, you find something deeper. There's another star and another star. That's my disease. Every time I think I know where my disease began, Oh, there's something so much deeper than that. Um, the earliest memory that I really have um, was uh, taking a specific type of cookie and hiding um, in my mother's living room. We had a living room in our home that we were not allowed to be in, which is ridiculous. It's a, it was a living room. Um, but it had furniture that we weren't allowed to be on. And the only thing that we ever did in there was play the piano. And I would take these specific cookies and I would hide behind the piano and I would eat as many as possible. It's maybe four, maybe five. Um, the interesting thing about that is that my parents had no rules about food whatsoever. There was, I mean, I could have had as many cookies as I want sitting at the kitchen table or before dinner or it didn't matter. And yet I had such an inherent shame to wanting them. Even as a four or five-year-old, I felt the need to hide. Um, you know, the progression from my disease is uh, I am definitely a compulsive overeater at heart. Um, the reason I... Uh, the reason my anorexia flared up so high is because, um, you know, I loved food so much that I couldn't control myself around it. So the only reasonable thing to do, reasonable, um, air quotes there, um, the only reasonable thing to do is to not have any at all. Um, but uh, when I was a child, um, buffets were big things at fast food restaurants. Um, every fast food restaurant uh, had a buffet. And my father would um, complain because, you know, I'm not paying $4.95 for you to have pudding or, you know, whatever I would want <laughs> at the buffet. Um, and so I felt the need to eat my weight, eat, eat with he, what he was paying for my buffet, $4.95. Um, and, you know, and I remember specifically feeling we would be driving home from whatever restaurant and feeling so full I mean, I would feel so sick, and yet that was never enough of a feeling for me to stop doing it, you know, like, do the buffet the next time. Um, and I really perfected uh, the anorexia part of my disease in college. Um, uh, I lived in a home with a lot of other females and really picked up on some behaviors that other females were doing um, and started doing meal replacements and started skipping meals and started, you know, um, just really seeing how little food I could eat and exist. Um, in terms of what got me into the rooms, um, 
it's interesting, you know, and I've shared this before, so forgive me if you've heard this before, but I always like to say I really had two bottoms, and I had, I had a physical bottom and I had an emotional bottom, and I wouldn't have ended up in the room without, in the rooms without having both of them, um, because I was, I always felt in charge of my body, so even when I physically bottomed out, and I knew, like, I knew I had a problem, I was not one of those people that came in the room and was like, I'm not sure this is for me, I came in the rooms knowing I'm an anorexic and I'm slowly killing myself, like, it was a very slow march to suicide, and, and I was aware of that when I came in, um, but I still thought I could handle it, you know, like, that was, even when I reached my physical bottom, my family um, staged an intervention, which is, uh, which, in Ohio is a big thing, you know, like we don't, um, we don't go to therapists there, we go to counselors, and um, you go to a counselor, and a counselor counsels you through a specific thing, and then you get an A and a check mark, and you move on, you know, um, so we don't, I, I don't want to, obviously I'm making a lot of sweeping generalizations about these stars and therapists in Ohio, I shouldn't say that, I should say my experience, um, uh, my family, we didn't do therapy, we didn't, do, we didn't talk about our problems, you know. So for my family, stage and intervention showed that I was at a physical bottom, that they could, they could see that something was wrong. Um, but it actually was two years after that um, when I made it to my first meeting. Um, and God willing, this January it will be 10 years, which is incredible. Um, but I had gone back home, um, I was in my 20s, and I still flew back to Ohio for uh, the Christmas holidays. And uh, three months before that, my parents had announced they were getting a divorce after 31 years of marriage. Um, I'm not sure why I thought it was still a good idea to go home for Christmas where they were living in the same house. Um, but I did. And uh, they were living on separate floors in the same house. And um, it was like, it was a really challenging 10 days. And I think that at that point, it was so clear to me that I, my, my, the entire foundation of sort of my family and my faith in love and all of those things was crumbling and I was trying to fix it with food. Um, and I think it was the first time that I was like, oh, no matter what I don't eat or what I do eat, my parents are not getting back together. Like, I'm in my 20s. Like, this is not, like, the parent trap. Like, there's nothing, ha you know, this, nothing is going to fix this. And by the way, they, sh they should have gotten a divorce, you know, um, absolutely. And it was... It was one of the first times that the sort of logic part filtered into my brain and I knew that food wasn't going to solve this problem. And I came back and I went to my first meeting on January 17th and, um, and I've never stopped coming. Um, and it changed my life. There's no doubt about it. It changed my life. Um, I was, uh, as I mentioned, because I knew physically that I had an issue, I, I knew its name, I knew it was anorexia, I knew um, I, the compulsive overeating part sort of came to me once I came into the rooms. I realized that a lot of my anorexia stemmed from a desire to eat and eat and eat, eat continue eating forever. Um, but uh, I was struck abstinent, which uh, I'm really grateful for. There was never, um, not to say that it was easy. Struck abstinence is such a funny term, right? Like, like that was so easy. No, it was not easy. Um, there were a lot of tears, a lot of tears. Um, you know, but I also knew that I didn't want to continue living this way. I still know that I don't want to continue living that way. You know, any time now, even, even uh, any time now, even when I get into a place where it's like, would would cookies fix it? Would food fix it? Would not eating fix it? Um, I remember that I don't want to live life that way. Um, what I want to talk about in terms of 
about five years ago, um, another sort of foundation of my program happened, which is um, God. God happened. Um, and it's just a, it's an important part of my story. And, and I know that everyone deals with their own struggles of finding, finding your higher power. When you came in, I was raised in a religious household. Um, and I didn't know how to reconcile that God with the God that, um, that I needed for my recovery. Um, and I, I think at the beginning, I was like, okay, I was open to it. I was like, okay, higher power, you know, but I didn't, I didn't really connect to a God. And I wasn't, it wasn't so much of a conscious struggle. It's just, I never felt like, you know, I turned to the rooms, I turned to my fellows, I turned to my sponsor, and my sponsor was always like, remember higher power? And I'm like, sure, and that higher power thing. You know, like, I wasn't anti, but I also wasn't um, embracing it. I didn't get the full power, if you will, of a higher power. Um, and then uh, and then something happened, which is that uh, my husband and I, fiancé at the time, we were engaged to be married, um, and uh, forgive me if I get emotional, um, Ten days before we were uh, to be married, he was diagnosed with cancer, and uh, it it rocked our world. Um, you know, at the at the time, um, you do nothing but move forward because you have to move forward. Um, but it obviously totally changed the nature of our relationship. I think actually in a much better way. Um, there's nothing. There's nothing like standing with your husband saying, you know, sickness and in health on your wedding day, knowing that this has just happened to you. Um, what it meant for us um, at the time, his specific type of cancer uh, would need to be, he would need have to have surgery, and once he had surgery, we would not be able to have children. Um, and children were obviously a huge part of uh, my plan, my plan for myself. Um, and so our doctor said, go get pregnant. Like, if you want, if that's what you're interested in, if you want to start a family, go, go start trying right now. You know, like, okay, you know, what do you do? Um, and he said, you know, we'll just keep tracking um, your husband's scores. And, you know, we don't think, this is a slow-growing cancer, we don't think that there's imminent danger, but we need to start, you know, within a year, if you're not pregnant, then we're going to need to do something. Um, so we went off and did our duty. Um, uh, and uh, we got pregnant several times. We had several miscarriages. And, uh, and this is what I brought in to read because um, it was an interesting place to be in that um, those sort of eight months of my life were probably some of the, the worst, you know what I mean? Like the lowest of my life that I had been through so far. What amazed me is that that's when I found God. Um, and I didn't even really know it at the time, but it's amazing when you need to have faith. I was like, oh, like I, it, the search was over. I needed to have faith in something, and something was there for me. I didn't have to look for it. Um, and w this became very obvious to me. My sponsor uh, around um, the second miscarriage that we had, my sponsor said, write a letter to God and then have God write a letter back to you, you know, in your hand. And I, I'm sure I rolled my eyes. I'm sure I was like, okay, sure, I'll do it. I'll, ex I'll do the exercise, like whatever you want, sponsor. Um, and I'm just going to read this, what I wrote. It's, it's brief um, and what God wrote back to me and... and I apologize for the intimate nature of it, but 
It is what it is. As, the, as if this isn't intimate, by the way. Um, <laughs> hilarious. Okay, so this was about five years ago. It's entitled Letter to God. <laughs> Dear God, I'm so angry at you. I, ugh, I feel so betrayed by you. I thought you uh, wanted us to have this baby in our lives. I thought you trusted us with us with it, and damn, I thought we deserved it. Haven't we done everything you asked? I prayed and prayed and prayed to you, and I'm trying to have faith in what you know is right for me. But God, I'm not sure I have much more in me. The pain on top of pain is exhausting. Uh, my husband broke down this morning. Did you see that? Did you see th- what this is doing to us? We're falling apart in many ways. We're trying to be strong because as angry as we are, as angry as I am, I still believe that you're there for me. I'm still looking for the silver lining, still searching for the reasons this likely happened. That's faith, right? If it isn't, I don't know what is, but I'm still so sad. I'm just sad. Dear Lauren, I'm glad you're sad. Because that means you are not covering your feelings in food. That's recovery, and that is my first consideration. But I'm also sorry you're sad, because it hurts me to see you in pain. But I can see things you can't see right now. And I can see through the pain. Ugh. I can see through the pain and into why this happened and what it can bring you in the future. This was simply not meant to happen right now. You need to trust this. I am taking care of you. Your body is taking care of you. But this will happen for you and your husband. I want you to trust that. I want this for you. And it's okay that you're angry at me. Take it out on me rather than yourself or your husband. I can handle it. And believe me, you can handle this. You heard it this morning in a meeting. I don't give you more than you can handle. I promise. Because I love you. So, despite all my tears, um, that was the turning point for me. Um, hilarious, full circle. My very first meeting. Thank you, Lord. Uh, my very first meeting. I cried like a baby. And uh, at the end of it, my hands were all gross because you know when you're crying and you're snotty and you're like, Ugh. and the person next to me still took my hand and I was like, dude, like that's love, you know? Cause, like that's disgusting. I hope you have hand sanitizer in your car. Oh, so ten years later, I'm still crying. Um, that was a turning point for me. And uh, God has never left me since. You know, um, That's certainly the, the worst emotional pain I've ever been through. Um, but it's certainly not the end of the emotional pain I've been through. You know? Life is life. Life is terribly imperfect. Um, and God has never, uh, never not been with me. I was about to say never not been with me since that moment. He was with me you know, way before that moment. Um, but I have, thank God, been more aware of uh, his presence in my life. Um, in the last couple of minutes, uh, I want to share where I'm at right now. Um, other than snotty, my God. Um, which is, I'm still learning about my disease in this program and my... Um, and what I mean from it, because it changes. That's the thing that I didn't understand coming in, is that I thought I had very specific, you know, I knew what my program looked like. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously, uh, 
with the husband, with the two children, with the, a career, it, it changes over time. It looks different all the time. Um, I actually now am far more dependent on a sponsor than I've ever been. Um, my sponsor was normally someone that I sort of kind of checked in with and, you know, like, mostly checked in with to say, like, it's all good. I was a big fan of uh, going through a breakdown and then wiping myself up and then calling and saying, well, I had a breakdown, but I'm okay now. Um, I'm much more likely to actually call mid-breakdown. Um, I'll be calling her on the way home. Um, you know, but uh, one of the things that really became evident to me um, in the last year, and again, some of you have heard this as part of my story, um, uh, was one of the traditions. Anonymity became super important to me. Um, and I never thought much about anonymity because I will, you know, uh, I'm an overshare. I will share. If you're like, oh, well, you know, I heard you had an eating disorder. I'm like, Bleh. you know, like I don't, um, I'm, I'm comfortable in that part of my skin. Um, I ended up in a situation uh, where in a workplace there were other people with programs. And uh, this felt like such a blessing to me. And then what I realized is that uh, I didn't want to talk about program on someone else's terms. I did not want to, um, in the middle of a work assignment, have God brought up to me by an outside source. And um, <laughs> I want to bring up God, damn it. Um, uh, but it became very clear to me that... Uh, that anonymity isn't just about not someone knowing my last name. Anonymity is about me being um, responsible for my own program and the boundaries of my program. Um, and what I mean by that is not that I pick and choose where I use Overeaters Anonymous in my life, because I use it to exist, you know, on a daily basis. Um, however, it became really clear to me that, for instance, work is some place where I am uncomfortable with my 12-step program being brought up to me. Um, even, and I, I want to emphasize, it was brought up in a kind way, you know, no one was holding it above my head, but it made me super uncomfortable. And I'm really grateful. It was another um, fellow who said to me, oh, it sounds like your anonymity is being broken. And I was like, what? You know, because that had never occurred to me. Um, and so I think it's just, uh, I think one of the, the miracles that is revealed through our program is that 10 years in, a tradition takes on a whole new meaning, you know. I don't know about you guys, but traditions were one of those things that I like. Flipped, like I was like, 12 steps, yay, 12, okay, rules, rules, rules. Um, but in fact, like the fact that this tradition came up so massive in my life and I was able to set much safer boundaries and it made for a better work experience, it shows me that um, the miracles are going to keep coming in my life and it's not always going to be about my, um, my weight or my appetite or even my, you know, uh, mental or emotional stability. Sometimes it's just about like learning how to function in the world better and in a way that works for you. Um, that is 9.15. So I think that I will uh, wrap it up from here and then we go into questions. This is the time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do, do so with any one of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Take questions. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, what a gift to hear you. Um, and the second is, talks about um, hiding under the piano and eating cookies and, and the shame. 
do you ever think that um, if you resolved your shame, you could eat cookies? <laughs> Good questions. Um, first of all, uh, my abstinence. Uh, my abstinence is no skipping meals. Um, and in fact, my sponsor and I um, added in the words willfully, uh, no willfully skipping meals, which uh, came into play when I was in my, you know, 20s and would sleep through breakfast a lot on the weekends. And I was like, do I, do I wake up at 11 and squeeze in three? It's no um, choosing to skip meals. There are many things on, uh, there are many foods I do not eat, but my abstinence is basically three meals a day. Um, in terms of if I removed the shame, could I eat cookies? Um, and the answer is yes, because, uh, because I do eat cookies. I had cookies yesterday. Um, the, the shame behind most foods has really disappeared for me. Um, there, the foods that I cannot eat uh, have more to do with foods that I used to attain a sense of a full stomach so I could skip meals. Um, carbonated, you know, there are foods that, for that reason, that, I, that I are on my list of um, foods that I don't eat. But in fact, I do eat everything else, and it's because I, you know, through the grace of this program, realized that, again, my issue is not really with these specific foods. It's, it is totally with, um, with the mindset of wanting to be in control and feeling like I'm in control of it. Once I gave up that control to my higher power and realized that, again, no amount of eating or not eating was going to change you know, my parents' divorce or my fertility or whatever, as soon as I, I, I reconciled that, then suddenly the shame behind specific foods really disappeared for me. Um, in terms of my uh, relationship with my current sponsor and my sponsees, um, I had, uh, it was very evident to me at the very beginning that um, I needed a kind and gentle sponsor. Uh, my disease was very, uh, very mean, very regimented, um, uh, inflexible. And I needed the opposite of that in a sponsor. Um, I needed someone who, uh, gently guided me and I've had I've had several sponsors but they all have had um, that element to their personalities however it did take me a while to realize that even with a kind and gentle person I needed someone to remind me to get my ass going occasionally and just you know to to be the prod and to remind me that by my, my current sponsor likes to say you know when you communicate with me it's easier for me to help you which is just a really simple thing, but you're right. If she doesn't know what's going on in my life, how possibly can she offer me her experience, strength, and hope? Um, my current sponsor, uh, specifically, I looked for someone who not only uh, had what I wanted, but also who had a life that looked similar to mine. Um, I found my current sponsor right after I had my first son, and a lot of what I was going, to, going through was specifically uh, parent-centric or mother-centric um, and, and female-centric in terms of some body stuff. Um, and not to say that someone outside that realm of experience couldn't help me. I'm sure, certain they could. Um, but I also needed someone to understand that, oh, I was supposed to call you at 8 o'clock tonight and my baby just puked all over me and so it's going to be 8.15. Um, back to the flexibility, right? Um, and it's worked, it's worked really, really well um, because, uh, 
because I'm not afraid to be fully myself in front of her. I'm not afraid to say my baby puked on me or literally the other night um, uh, there was a, I don't need to tell you guys, this is disgusting. <laughs> it was so gross, but uh, there was a bathtub incident and my phone ended up wet and we were uh, doing, we were supposed to do seven step reading that night and the speaker on my phone wasn't working. And so a text exchange happened and we, Worked together the next morning, and it was totally fine, despite the disgusting bathroom incident. Um, sponsor, me sponsoring was, um, to address that part really quickly, uh, me sponsoring was a very different process for me. Um, when I took on my first sponsee, uh, I had no boundaries whatsoever. And it was a really interesting thing for me to learn, because uh, very quickly it developed into a really unhealthy relationship. Unhealthy for me, unhealthy for her. Um, and it blew up and exploded. I mean, it exploded in an ugly way. And I was very scared to sponsor after that for a couple of years, actually. And it was my sponsee who, uh, who reminded me that that had happened so that I could learn what my boundaries were in terms of being a sponsor to someone else. Um, and she urged me to start raising my hands at meetings. Hands? Hand is one, one hand is enough. Um, uh, raised my hand at meetings to say that I would sponsor and almost that first week someone came up to me um, and we've been working together. She actually doesn't, uh, oddly neither my sponsor or my sponsee live in this city. Uh, everything is done via phone, email um, and text and, uh, and it works very, very well. Oddly, they live in the same city. Um, they should meet up at some point. Uh, but, but now that I have the right boundaries in terms of what I'm able to give and saying very, very clearly at the beginning, this is what I would like for you, from you, this is what I'm able to give, if that does not work, let's have an open and honest conversation about it. Or if, if your circumstances change and it starts not working for you, let me know. You know we'll discuss it. So, um, so yeah, thank you. Any more questions? Thank you so much. So great to hear. Um, did you ever have a time where you felt defeated? Like okay, God, you're going to do what you want to do anyway? Yes. Um, in terms of whether or not I've ever had a feeling of surrender um, in that specific situation, absolutely, 100%. Um, and surrender comes out, I mean, I'm such a, uh, I was raised in a way that uh, was very, was about like putting a nice side out to the world. Um, so I actually struggle with being angry and confrontational to anyone at all. Um, because I don't want them to think I'm an angry and confrontational person. I'm a good person. I'm a nice person. Um, and so I actually had to go through that hump with my higher power, too. But I actually did in this specific situation. Um, after our second miscarriage, I was very angry and, you know, was sort of in a place of the, well, well screw it. You know what I mean? Like, screw it. Because none of my, none of my, like, trying to get what I want was working. So, okay, God, you take it. You mess up my life. I don't want to mess it up. Guess what? God didn't mess up my life. You know, like that's what's so interesting is that sometimes it's that moment of total surrender. And surrender sounds like such a peaceful word. In my case, it wasn't. Surrender was very much driven of anger and frustration and not getting what I want. And, and I, I feel like I'm dying inside. So you take it, God. That was the surrender. And what came after that definitely was more of the serenity. Uh, I'm interested in, um, you shared about your emotional bottom after you had the miscarriages, and requiring you to get too personal, I know you have children now you shared, and I'm just wondering if 
when the opportunity to do that, to be a mother, which is something you wanted, came, did you have trouble recognizing it or did you have fear of having hope around that? Can you talk a little bit about the, the journey, the emotional and spiritual for that and, and receiving those gifts? Absolutely. Um, thank you. A great question. Um, uh, no, that's okay. My, my spiritual and emotional journey um, about finally becoming a mother after some, some pain. Um, yes, it's sort of funny because uh, we, we tried to get pregnant with those miscarriages for about six months, um, at which point my, uh, my husband's tumor was growing much faster than they expected. Um, and we went back to his doctor, and his doctor basically said, I'm sorry, you know, I told you you had a year. You no longer have a year. You have, you know, you've had your six months. Um, we're going to need to schedule the surgery. Um, and we cried, but we were like, okay, you know, we know that there's other ways to have children. We'll figure that out on the backside. My husband's health had to come first. Um, he told us to, we scheduled the surgery for about six weeks from then. He told us to um, go off and relax. Um, and uh, we went, <laughs> we actually went on a delayed honeymoon. Because of his um, uh, diagnosis, we had skipped over a honeymoon. And we just went up the coast and um, spent three days in San Francisco and three days sort of on the coast, um, walking everywhere, hiking, drinking, um, eating tons of seafood, hot tubbing, came back and I was pregnant. Um, and <laughs> by the way, had been pregnant through that whole thing, it's not like we went off and got pregnant. I was already pregnant. And oddly, like, we had done everything that on our first rounds, like, we didn't do any of that stuff. Like, I was like, no, I, don't, I shouldn't take a warm enough bath because it could be bad for, you know. Um, we did everything we shouldn't have done. And I actually have to say that part of that, like, I was, I was scared to have hope, you know. I, on my first pregnancy test, I remember showing my husband, like, we're pregnant. My second one, I was like, we're pregnant. My third one, when, after my son was born, uh, I brought it up and I said, this says we're pregnant, which was such a different, like, <laughs> because I wasn't yet willing to, to trust it. And yet, oddly, because, um, because we had done everything that we shouldn't have done, I kind of felt even more faith that this was the pregnancy that was meant to happen for us. Not to say that I wasn't scared. I was terrified. Um, I actually said, I don't know if there are any other parents in the room, but I actually said to um, a, a friend who had had a child, I can't wait till this baby is born so I can stop worrying about it. <laughs> Hilarious. Um, you know, because cause again, when you're pregnant, you feel very much like you're in charge of what's happening inside you. When in fact already, baby, uh, embryo, whatever it is, has its own higher power. Um, but against all odds, I actually had more faith because of what I had already experienced um, and uh, sort of feeling like if God was going to give me this pregnancy amidst all of these crazy circumstances, then perhaps this is what it was meant to look like in the first place. <laughs> uh, my husband's relationship with program. Um, my husband is grateful every day that program saved my life. There's no, it really is that simple. Um, uh, he's never been to a meeting. He's never, you know, read the big book. He doesn't go to um, an Al any Al-Anon. Um, he is consistently grateful and willing to do uh, whatever it takes to get me to a meeting, to sweep the kids away so that I can take a phone call from my sponsor, um, to do, honestly, what needs to happen so that I can get my recovery. Um, you know, we have... Uh, 
my husband has a very different relationship with God than I do. And there's definitely times that that's come up in terms of, um, in terms of raising children, honestly. You know, because, you know, as I've shared, my, my experience with God, a higher power, um, I, my God is one thing. When he hears God, he hears only a religious uh, uh, aspect to it. Um, and he has his own story there where that does not work for him. So, uh, so there's still some meshing to be had about the, the use of the word God in our household. But in terms of program, he is 100% in support. Um, you um, go through stuff about like changes in your body and how um, yes, good question. Um, in terms of uh, dealing with changes in my body during pregnancy, um, I was lucky to be uh, walking through the pregnancy path with two other fellows who were also pregnant, whose due dates were within uh, two or three weeks of mine. We were literally on the same, like, boat. <laughs> A boat, seriously. Um, and... Uh, and it was really helpful because we all were experiencing the same things. And the odd thing, my experience with being pregnant, is you're going to gain weight. Like, it's going to happen. It obviously has to happen. Um, and, and, you know, for me, it was like, how do I... I hate gaining weight, but I don't hate my baby. I was so afraid of, like, like putting negative messages into my body about the, the changes that were happening. Um, also, I... I definitely had one moment where um, I went grocery shopping, pregnant and hungry. Bad idea. Um, and I found myself craving, back to the cookies behind the piano, I found myself craving sort of childhood snacks, um, like specifically things I hadn't had since my mother had packed my lunch when I was in elementary school. Um, but there was obviously a sense of comfort that I was looking at those. So instead of those, I called my sponsor for comfort. I called these friends for comfort. Um, Definitely, uh, the, the bigger issue with my body came post-pregnancy, came after having a baby. And uh, I had an image which I think a lot of new mothers share, which is once you give birth, you'll fit back into your old clothes. That's not the case. My body, uh, my body has changed permanently. It's not the same body. Um, I, uh, my first son was born in a very uh, extreme emergency manner, and I had a C-section, which I was not planning on. And... Uh, he was, uh, I was bleeding out and he was not getting any nutrients and they, the doctor basically cut me from hip bone to hip bone um, to get the baby out as quickly as possible. And, uh, and it was a very painful recovery. And yet, as cheesy as it sounds, like from here to here on my body, uh, my torso, <laughs> for the podcast, my torso, um, uh, allowed me to have children. So at the end of the day, uh, like... Do I always love it? No. Is it always perfect? No. Actually, it's never perfect. Um, but I'm actually really okay with that. So, uh, we have about two or three more minutes if there's another question. Thank you so much. Um, mm. today and on a daily basis with your life and your, your big life. Um, the question is how do I take care of myself now? Um, it's a great question and actually a great way to end this because it's a great reminder that I need to take care of myself. Um, Let's see. Um, I, I was raised by my, mostly my mother. My father was obviously in the picture. I was going to say we had a happy home. Maybe we didn't. I'm not sure. I thought we did. Um, but my mother was a stay-at-home mom and uh, raised my brother and I by herself. 
What's interesting is that, and that's, that's the model with which I was raised, and the model that I assumed I would raise my children, except for, oh, right, I have this career that I also really like. Um, uh, a village literally raises my children. Um, we have so much help, and, uh, you know, um, people we pay to help, a full-time caretaker, um, but also the family that we have developed in Los Angeles um, that loves my children like they're their own. Um, that was me giving up control. That was me saying, oh, all of these other people love my children and can help take care of them too when I can't be around um, and may do it slightly differently than I do, but like, what's wrong with having more people love my children? So part of taking care of me is shrugging off a little bit of the responsibility and allowing other people to take responsibility within my life. Um, currently, just because this is like for today, uh, I'm trying this little thing called exercise. Occasionally. Um, I've never been an exercise bulimic. I've never been a bulimic of any sort. Um, so that is not an issue for me. Um, I've mostly been lazy. I don't like to exercise. I don't like to be out of breath. I don't like to be sweaty. Um, so, so this has been a change for me. And I honestly, like, I try to fit it in my schedule two or three times a week. Um, and what I found that it's as much meditation for me as anything else. I'm, I'm literally out running in my neighborhood when it's quiet. Um, food. I don't have as much time to think about food, which is, I think, again, another blessing from God, which is, I gave you this big life, God says, and now I'm going to not give you the time to additionally think about everything you're putting in your body. Um, and it's amazing when I rely on God to just sort of instinctually guide me to, to choices, I actually make the right ones when I, when I literally rely on, on my higher power. Um, and so food is not so much of an issue for me today. Um, this also is taking care of me, showing up, um, being of service. Uh, service is definitely something that has upped in my life a lot in the past couple of years. And I wouldn't have thought that was the case because, of course, I don't have time. I don't have time. I always have time to be of service. And um, I remind myself of that even when I'm in the car, just returning calls or calling and reaching out. Um, and, uh, and my husband's at home with kids right now, and I'm sure they are much happier than if Mommy the Hammer is there, like, telling them what to do. Like, they're in pajamas. They're all good. Um, uh, so, yeah, that is how. Thank you. Okay, everyone. Thank you.